look, you don't fight the white supremacy that the Trump regime represents by holding a rally after your party's convention and nomination of a racist with a horrible record using the waving of American flags and the popping off of fireworks. That is not how it happens. It also doesn't happen by being afraid of Trump. Voting for Biden or his whole campaign is, we should be afraid of Trump. Oh no, he's ruining American democracy. American democracy, that's a joke right there in and of itself. You know how you beat Trump and white supremacy? You say universal health care. We will end police brutality once and for all and doing it and offering policies that will do it, right? And other things like that saying, we will end the trillions of dollars that we spend on endless war for domination. We will provide economic relief during the pandemic as much as is necessary. We will lock things down that is needed to, to, to face the pandemic and we will provide for everyone. We will bring everybody together based on a program that can unite the many against the few. That is how you beat Donald Trump. You beat Donald Trump by rising up and building a disciplined, well-organized, mass movement to make the changes, to force the changes that we need to. Not go down on our knees before some flag-waving and firework display at the end of some ridiculous uh, political convention that had, that, that, had, that had incorporated more Republicans and racists then would even be imaginable to a campaign that's trying to run against someone like Trump. And anyway, take it from my son. Don't be afraid of Trump. Biden is not your friend. This is Mass Action Podcast. Revolutionary socialist propaganda to save the planet, smash white supremacy, and stop World War III. This is your host, John Beecham. On this episode of Mass Action Podcast, we talk with Gregory Carr, a longtime Chicago activist, who just recently spent some time working in a cannery in Alaska. But before we get to this truly very interesting interview, here's a poem entitled Your New Eyes for my new book of poetry on the pandemic to the rising. If you like what you hear and you want to get some more of the book, you can go to mass-action.org where there's some more info about getting some more of the poems. But without further ado, your new eyes. Dandelions, you can eat them, all of them. Make wine from them. Eels, bees, mushrooms, worms, coral, and Manhattan, you must know them. Frontline essential workers, all workers. They are the people. They are the real. Like any crisis, pandemic exposes root we must not unexpose or cover up. In fact, a true red unrooting and healing is required. White supremacy, cop lynching, dangling immigrants over a precipice, owning bodies and labor. This is America. 
The root of racism must be dug up, chopped up, boiled, mixed with poison, and served to you know who. Millions of people in cages because they're black, brown, or poor, or don't have papers. They get nothing but death coronas from a republic of masked white men who operate out of the secret top floors in massive glass buildings in DC. Come on, matter is material. Dynamo wound up like the coil around the magnet in our engine. Repeat this notion or potion to me as many times as necessary until you have been charged in clarity. The E. Dan B. Shrew War Corhaddon will emerge. It will. So, here are your new eyes. Take them. Thumb them firmly into place and just look at the thing. Really look at this shit that will be the new tree of humanity. Look and hook. Act. Be together. Really be together at long last. We will cross the muddy river with titanium snorkels. We will smash the walls, break the bars, dismantle mansions, and build a new world out of, among many other things, smelted cop badges and blue bones. All right, welcome back to Mass Action Podcast. This is your host, John Beecham, again. Today we have with us, not from Alaska, I believe you're back in Chicago, but uh, because you just, you were in Alaska, and that's kind of why I had you on, not kind of, but why I'm having you on the show today. Gregory Carr, a Chicago activist and organizer and a friend. Welcome, Gregory. Thank you. We also, um, we intersected on the Bernie San- Sanders campaign a little bit, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Uh, you came down and helped out in South Carolina. That's true. I also went to Iowa and did some things here in Illinois as well. Um, anywho, uh, I do have you on. I was um, not too long ago. I know you went to Alaska to work uh, in a cannery in a salmon processing uh, plant. I think that's the way you, you say it. And I was the post that you sent your journey there, your experiences there. Um, well, to say the least were very interesting to me. And I thought they would also be interesting to listeners, um, not just from a general informational standpoint, but um, just as workers, uh, what a situation like that is like, and especially during a pandemic, what, what it's like to go do seasonal work, uh, pretty kind of, you know, work that can be dangerous uh, in a sort of far off, even maybe romantic location. So could you just like, uh, I don't know, let us know what that was like or what it's like for not just yourself, but for other other workers in that industry? Yeah. What, it, what it your was, experience was like? Sure. Yeah, it, it was it was certainly an interesting experience. It wasn't anything that I had really considered uh, uh, previously. Uh, honestly, I, I happened to watch a, uh, a film in which the protagonist was uh, was trying to make her way uh, to Alaska to work in a, in a cannery. And you know, it, it just, the concept seemed fascinating to me. It's one of those things that, you know, ra- you know, rationally, you know, that there are workers doing this work, uh, but it had never really occurred to me as, as a thing to do. Uh, so I had found myself, uh, no longer on the, 
uh, on the Sanders campaign uh, for obvious reasons uh, and was just kind of uh, a layabout, uh, you know, we're all you know, under quarantine. Uh, and, you know, I saw that film and I just started doing some research and, uh, you know, it started to look like something that I could actually do. Alaska uh, seemed to be among the safer places to be uh, in the time of COVID. Uh, so, you know, when all was said and done, uh, I applied, I got an offer uh, and I went out there. Uh, it was uh, it was an interesting process uh, given the, the COVID uh, restrictions. Uh, they flew us, well, uh, I took a train out to Seattle and then they put us in a in a hotel under quarantine for 48 hours, <clears throat> testing us regularly uh, throughout. Uh, and then we were allowed to continue on by plane to Alaska. Uh, and then while we were there, we were routinely uh, tested as well. And there were just very strict uh, uh, distancing and uh, and movement restrictions. Uh, in the community, and I can get I can get into more of that uh, uh, later if you like, but uh, there were very strict uh, restrictions on our movement, uh, given distrust within the the native community uh, for historical reasons. Uh, sure, but uh, the work itself is incredibly grueling. Uh, I had uh, I had begun uh, working in the on the fillet line. Uh, initially doing the trimming and then uh, after that uh, doing the the racking up of the salmon preparing it for the freezer at the end of the line uh, and these are very long uh, relentless days uh, you know we're talking between 14 and 18 hour days seven days a week at times uh, where you know you're you're working uh, you know the fish keeps coming and coming and coming uh, and you, know, you, you don't really get much of a let up outside of the, uh, the, the intermittent, uh, breaks, but, you know, sometimes you're so tired, you, know, you, you don't even want to, uh, uh, climb the stairs to go up and get food. Uh, so it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's very hard work and, uh, it's not something that I think I'll do again. Uh, but it, the important thing for me is that it gave me an opportunity to experience, uh, that life and that work and, and understand uh, what these workers are going through uh, every, uh, every season, uh, ensuring that the, the salmon gets out. Well, why don't you expand a little bit, a bit about what workers go through? There's that. And then also, <clears throat> I don't want to lose, maybe you can even do it first, talking about uh, what types of intervention uh, the native population did to change the safety precautions that the that the plant bosses had to make. Yeah. So initially, the uh, the demand uh, among the native population uh, in the Bristol Bay region, you know, basically the the Aleutian Islands in general, was that uh, they didn't want any of the the out of state uh, processors or fishermen coming in. They they just they wanted everything shut down. Uh, and the reason for uh, for that is that they have a very understandable uh, mistrust of uh, of outsiders, uh, particularly in in a in a time of uh, of health emergency. Because, as uh, some of your listeners may realize, uh, between 1918 and 
uh, with, uh, with that flu epidemic, uh, the Aleutian population, uh, the Aleutian peoples were devastated uh, because you know, these very same workers and visitors were coming from out of state and they brought the flu with them. Uh, up to that point, Alaska had been uh, you know, fairly safe in contrast to the rest of the world. Uh, but once these out-of-state workers and visitors uh, started arriving uh, in that region, uh, they were thoroughly unprepared for it, and uh, and it, they were devastated. Uh, and so they have a very uh, very long cultural memory of that. And so they didn't want any any of that activity uh, going on in in their region, uh, given the COVID crisis. <clears throat> Through uh, through long talks and negotiations among uh, the the native the native uh, leadership, the, uh, the state government, and the uh, the uh, the company leadership, you know, for the, these uh, processing companies, uh, they ultimately came to a, a compromise where yes, the facilities would be allowed to operate, but under very uh, uh, very heavy restrictions. So when I mentioned the, the movement restrictions, basically once we were on the work site, unless, you know, <laughs> unless it was for a very specific work purpose uh, in, in the immediate area of our facility, uh, we could not leave uh, the work site. And there were very few people that, that had uh, a credible reason uh, to have to, to come and go. Uh, but we also kept, uh, we kept uh, a regular log of uh, who was in and out and at what times. <clears throat> and that's a log that, uh, that the, the state government and the native leadership uh, you know, were able to, uh, uh, to, to have access to if, if they had any questions about our movements. So, so the, do you the know, general idea- Hold on, hold on just, a second. Yeah, go go, yeah. yeah. Um, sorry to cut you off there. I'm just, um, were, were there any problems with you know, COVID or the pandemic, any outbreaks <laughs> in the canneries or? So there, there are multiple in, uh, in the, the area where I was, there are multiple different companies in the area where I was. Uh, but uh, the company that I worked for Alaska general seafoods, uh, our work site was about the safest of any of them. As far as that's concerned. Uh, I think that we had, uh, three or four uh, asymptomatic positives uh, come up and it was just a matter of uh, quarantining them for uh, for 14 days. Uh, but yeah, there, there was no outbreak on our work site. There, uh, there were uh, worse cases uh, on, on some other work uh, work sites. Um, but the, the obviously the principal purpose behind the, the movement restrictions was so that should that happen, uh, it's very easy to ensure that it stays within the work site and doesn't reach the uh, the regular community. Right, right. Yeah, it seems like I was just scrolling through a few articles on my computer here regarding the subject, and it seems like you know they've they've done a fairly decent job of testing and quarantining people. Yep. It just makes me think that um, it could because they've been forced to really, right? I mean, they perhaps, and I don't think they would have taken the necessary precautionary measures unless they were in some way forced to or felt like they had to because it costs money. Not. But um, well, it also shows that, you know, struggle comes in various reasons or various 
modes for lack of a, a better way of putting it. And, you know, that's the thing that actually usually uh, helps workers out is mm-hmm. if there's, you know, some type of fight back or pushback or organized effort to make, make, you know, some subset of bosses or all the bosses, you know, conform to the safety needs and just, you know, working conditions and, and general, you know, well, anyway, safety for workers. But it makes me think too, uh, you know, if one subset of capitalists can go ahead and do this and still make lots of money and do business, why the capitalist class in general hasn't been able to, I mean, you know, other capitalist countries around the world have done decently at the pandemic, why they haven't been able to do here in the U.S. the thing that would actually save their profits and, you know, and not cause the economy as much harm as being caused by really just their both parties, I would say, just lack of any sort of any semblance of a, a ability to address this pandemic with any type of consistent policy or carry out yeah. any measures. Um, even it's 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 weird to me because it's even would be in their best interest. Well, and and I think what we've uh, what what we've learned time and time again is that the the capitalist class isn't really as smart as they would have us believe. Uh, they uh, they. They're 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 very indignant and they uh, they they dig in their heels uh, for for what you know what seems uh, immediately beneficial or, or profitable, but when it comes to, to even their their own long term best interest, which which happens to align uh, with with public interest, they they just have their blinders up and and like like I say they're 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 not uh, they're not as uh, as smart and calculating as uh, as. Uh, uh, as like, you're right. we're told to believe. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's totally true because if you just look at the domestic and global situation in terms of <clears throat> what type of administration would uh, behoove them the best, I mean, you know, the Trump administration is not necessarily the, the best thing for them because it, it is helping create greater instability and he's not totally trustworthy and he uses his position, you know, for his own benefit where someone like President Obama really was in the office to try to bring the ruling class together, the capitalist class together and stabilize mm-hmm. things and promote right. us empire. Do you know what I mean? Well, I mean, um, even, even FDR with, with his, uh, with his, his new deal programs, right. Basically the purpose there, you know, it, it helped the, uh, the popular right. class, but, right. uh, the, the basic purpose was to, uh, to essentially save the capitalists right. from their own stupidity. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think, I mean, honestly, I, I supported Bernie Sanders campaign because of the movement it represents and because of the time period we're at, I, I think socialist revolutionaries need to support struggles that have a progressive, um, you know, mass of people behind it, pushing forward progressive ideals and notions and making them more popular and popularizing uh, socialism. But for the ruling class, uh, the capitalist class here, even for the system, I mean, to have picked uh, Bernie Sanders to, to have worked out a deal with him, which they're not in the mood to do because they don't, they really um, are, uh, have been on decades of, you know, gouging working class, the working class and oppressed people. I mean, just from all different avenues. Uh, for him, it would have been better. I mean, think about the pandemic. I mean, I'm not sure a Biden administration, what exactly it would do better than the Trump administration. I mean, perhaps they would. I mean, who knows? But it seems to me that a Bernie Sanders administration would at least try to manage the pandemic in a humane way. I mean, he may not have been able to do it. I mean, because, you know, the, the capitalist class is very powerful, but he certainly, I believe, would have tried to do better. Do you know what I mean? Right. 
Well, and and he he has more of a grounding uh, in uh, in in the type of politics that we need for this moment. Uh, obviously, he's not the be all end all. Uh, he's not everything that we need uh, in uh, in leadership, as we've seen uh, in in previous years with his uh, with his uh, military and interventionist record. Uh, but he, what he's demonstrated time and time again is that. Uh, he will bend. Uh, he will bend based on uh, popular pressure, uh, and and he will you know rethink his positions. I think uh, the uh, the matter of Israel Palestine has has been a, a key example of of his ability to recognize where where his position is just flat out wrong, uh, and then right. respond to pressure to uh, to to change it. Well, I think what a lot of people don't understand, and people might, you know, question someone like me supporting Bernie Sanders, but he got this trope over and over again, and even people like Angela Davis are are putting it forward that um, if Biden's elected, he'll more likely listen to uh, the mass movement, which hasn't even been borne out by recent history. I mean, Obama right. didn't do anything for immigrants, and they got him elected. Yep. I mean, you know, Pelosi's the most powerful. Democrat in the country, she's not doing anything about the pandemic. I mean, so on and so so on and, and so forth. But I think Bernie Sanders actually, because he has not been accepted by the establishment, that doesn't mm-hmm. mean he wouldn't make a deal with the establishment, but he would actually be more susceptible to protest, you know, street protests, progressive demands. Yeah. Um, because where he's else not he turn. <laughs> yeah, right. Because he, he, he has no base. return but to us. That's his base. Yeah. And I think for a lot of socialists, that's like the main thing there. It's like, what was it? What was it? What was the base of that movement? What was the thing propelling it forward? It it wasn't really ever even I mean, I think Bernie Sanders is a capable politician. I mean, he is a parliamentarian. And that's also something that I it's, you know, uh, for someone who's trying to get for a progressive change in this period, I think we need more than parliamentarianism, if I said that right. Um, Anyway. We're kind of, uh, I'm rambling. We're kind of running out of time. I mean, do you have any final, I know, I wish we could talk more about the, the cannery about Alaska. I'm, I'm personally just, uh, I, I saw your post on Facebook and I looked up like, what would it take to get to Alaska, especially since I'm, um, in Seattle now, but I, I yeah. you'd have to go through Canada. I mean, I wouldn't fly. I don't think. And you have to go through Canada and well, you know, yeah, people from the U S can't right go now. through Canada. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You would, like, you, you don't have that as an option right now. No, I don't. Yeah. So I guess I'm not, uh, you know, that's the thing. I mean, this country's just done so poorly at that. I mean, poorly at this pandemic, it, it really just kind of shows you how rotten, how rotten, even from the sort of the perspective of this powerful empire, this country has become. Yeah, uh, I, I think that it's uh, it, it's very clear that uh, that that we're on a we're on a path for collapse one way or another uh, of the the current order. Uh, it's just a question of how much damage we're we're going to allow to be wrought uh, upon the the least of us uh, in that process. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There's certainly more movement and energy you know, some of it's spontaneous, some not amongst the population to have something done about the situation before it gets worse. Right. Uh, historically speaking, things have to get pretty worse, pretty worse, pretty bad mm-hmm. um, for the type of social movements that are militant and organized and disciplined <clears throat> to overcome uh, these type of crises. Uh, you know, I mean, 
Well, let me break it down this way. We do need a, I think we need a revolution, but the revolution isn't in the offing. We don't have the, the population hasn't built up that consciousness through struggle. Uh, there's no organization, I think, big enough or capable enough of doing it, although there's lots of great organizers and organizations out there. Um, and I don't and, think it's any it's, organization's fault. I just think people, ha people have to go through a progression yeah. of understanding to get to a certain level. And it's not always even well-defined what a revolution looks like. <laughs> so, you know, sure. it's, uh, it, it's one of those things that, that you can't, uh, as, as, as you, as you intimate, you, you can't force along. No. Uh, it, it, it has to come out, uh, by organic means, uh, when, when a population has simply had enough. Uh, and yeah, uh, the, the important thing is that, uh, as socialists, we remain active uh, in our communities uh, in you know, organizing uh, around the proper context of, uh, of what, what a society is facing so that once that moment arrives, uh, it's not just a chaotic revolt that, that achieves nothing. That's right. And I think, I mean, for me, I, I get what you're saying. For me, what needs to happen is you definitely have to have organizers or organizations that are, are fully capable to give that because what you described is a very difficult task i think it might be the most difficult task ever in history to have a revolution in the united states who are capable of um you know really catalyze because it does take a revolt i mean it really does like the, th mm -hmm. the rebellions we're seeing right now like that has that is going to be a component of it but the question is it has to be channeled yeah and you know, and not and not in a I'm coming from outside to channel you or anything like that. Right. That's not what that's not what we're talking about. But it does because a revolution, just like anything else, is an art and science. And um, unless you have, you have to make sure that you're attacking the right people, yeah, you have to have good strategies and tactics. Unless you're yeah. unless you have practitioners, which I encourage everyone to be, um, you know, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so and. You know, we're at a very interesting point in history because we really need those types of conscientious um, uh, organizers. Um, and they're, they're, you know, we're getting more of those. That's for sure. More than any, in any time in my lifetime. So I will stay, I am staying optimistic. Yeah. You know, well, <laughs> what else can we do? <laughs> well, that's true. Uh, that's what I often say. I mean, op optimism is a choice. Yes, but it's a necessity. Yep. Um, it's an absolute necessity. Well, Gregory, I really, really appreciate you coming on, um, talking a little bit about Alaska and talking with me a little bit about the Sanders campaign and where we are now. Um, I already gave you a chance to say final thoughts, but you know, since uh, we're still talking, any any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say that since we didn't get to talk too much about the about Alaska, you had mentioned the uh, the social media posts about it. Uh, you're welcome to share those uh, in text form if you'd like to, uh, along with the uh, the, blog, the the podcast post. Uh, but yeah, uh, in general, I, I appreciate the opportunity to come on the on the show. I, I think that you're uh, you're doing a good thing here, and uh, be happy to come back. Well, I appreciate it. You know, I was just thinking about it. Put that stuff in a book. Yeah, or an essay I've, or something. Yeah, I've I've, I've thought about that. You yeah. know, maybe when, when I when I have uh, when I have more essays, uh, maybe I'll piece them together somehow. No, yeah, it was, it was great reading. All right, thank you, Gregory, once again. And well, the interview is concluded, my friend. Alrighty. All right. Bye. Bye.
that's it for the end of this episode of Mass Action Podcast. Remember, you can get uh, my new book of poems on the pandemic to the rising. Really excellent poems, I think. There's a poem entitled A Nurse, Florida is a Communist Dictatorship, a Robot Army, Open Up and Die, Masks and Bullhorns, uh, and quite a few more. I think there's uh, 19 poems, if I remember correctly, in all. You can also get that on Amazon if you just... Uh, if you search John Beecham or the title of the book of poetry uh, um, on the pandemic to the rising, uh, this podcast is available on Spotify, iTunes, and it's parked on SoundCloud. Become a patron at patreon.com slash mass action. Please, please share the work, uh, get involved. If you go to the website mass-action.org, you can sign up to write for or get more information about writing or contributing content to Mass Action, which is a podcast and publications platform. You can also get on our email list again by going mass to mass-action.org. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a friend, a comrade. Until next time, keep your heads up, your fists up. We're going to win because we've got no other choice. Bye.